Welcome to Worm, a parahuman radio serial. This series is a fan project paying homage to Wildbow's web serial, Worm. This series contains graphic violence, strong language, and periodic instances of adult subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. We don't know how long he'd been there, suspended in the air above the Atlantic Ocean. On May 20th, 1982, an ocean liner was crossing from Plymouth to Boston when a passenger spotted him. He was naked, his arms to his side, his long hair blowing in the wind as he stood up in the sky, nearly a hundred feet above the gently crossing waves. His skin and hair can only be described as a burnished gold. With neither body hair nor clothes to cover him, it is said he almost seemed artificial. After a discussion including, including passenger and crew, the liner detoured to get closer. It was a sunny day and passengers crowded to the railings to get a better look. As if sharing their curiosity, a figure drew closer as well. His expression was unchanging, but witnesses at the scene reported that he appeared deeply sad. I thought he was going to crack his facade and cry at any moment, but when I reached out and touched his fingertips, I was the one who burst into tears. That boat trip was a final journey for me. I had cancer and I wasn't brave enough to face it. I can't believe I'm admitting this in front of a camera, but I was going back to Boston, where I was born, to end things myself. After I met him, I changed my mind. Didn't matter anyways. I went to a doctor and he said there was no sign I ever had the disease. My brother, Andrew Hawk, was the last passenger to make any sort of contact with him, I remember. He climbed up onto the railing and, almost falling off, he clasped the hand of the golden man. The rest of us had to grab him to keep him from falling. Whatever happened left him with a quiet awe. When the man with the golden skin flew away, my brother stayed silent. The rest of the way to Boston, my brother didn't say a word. When we docked, he and the spell finally finally broke. My brother babbled his excitement to reporters like a child. The golden man would reappear several more times in the coming months and years. At some point, he donned clothing. At first, a sheet worn over one shoulder and pinned to the side of the waist, then more conventional clothes. In 1999, he donned the white bodysuit he still wears today. For more than a decade, we have wondered, where did our golden man get these things? Who was he in contact with? Periodically at first, and with increasing frequency, the golden man started to intervene in times of crisis. For events as small as a car accident, as great as a natural disaster, he has arrived and uses abilities to save us. A flash of light to freeze water, reinforcing a levee stressed by a hurricane. A terrorist act averted. A serial murder caught. A volcano quelled. Miracles, it was said. His pace increased, perhaps because he was still learning what he could do, perhaps because he was getting a greater sense of where he was needed. By the middle of the 1990s, he was traveling from crisis to crisis, flying faster than the speed of sound. In 15 years, he has not rested. He He has been known to speak just once in 30 years. After extinguishing widespread fire in Alexandrovsk, he paused to survey the scene and be sure no blazes remained. As civilians and reporters rushed to the figure with praise and questions abound, he answered in a voice that sounded as though it might never be uttered a sound before. Zion. It became the name we used for him. Ironic, because we took a word that meant descendant and used it to name the first of many superpowered individuals, parahumans, to appear across world- the Earth. Just five years after science's first appearance, the superheroes emerged from the cover of rumor and secrecy to show themselves to the public. 
Though the villains followed soon after, it was the heroes who shattered any illusions of the parahumans being divine figures. In 1989, attempting to quell a riot over a basketball game in Michigan, the superhero known to the public as Vicare stepped in, only to be clubbed over the head. He died not long, no longer after a brain embolism. Later, he would be revealed to be Andrew Hawk. The golden age of parahumans was thus short-lived. They were not the deific figures that had appeared to be. Parahumans were, after all, people with powers. And people are flawed to their core. For BBC Radio, this is Emily Beale, signing off. Now then, class, I'm sure that all of you can think of some examples of such flawed parahumans. Lung, Kaiser, Heartbreaker, Siberian, Nilbog. These are the kind of parahumans who use their abilities to push others around, to place themselves at the top of the heap, and keep the rest of us in a sense of constant terror. I'd assume Since the start of the semester, I had been looking forward to the part of Mr. Gladley's World Issues class where we'd start discussing caves. Now that it had finally arrived, I couldn't focus. I fidgeted, my pen moving from hand to hand, tapping or absently drawing some figure in the corner of the page to join the other doodles. I wasn't picking up enough of his lesson to follow along. Twenty minutes to twelve. Five minutes left before class ended. The teacher was animated, clearly excited about what he was talking about, and for once, the class was listening. He was the sort of teacher who tried to be friends with his students, the sort that uh, went by Mr. G instead of Mr. Gladly. He liked to end class a little earlier than usual and chat with the popular kids, gave lots of group work and fun assignments. He struck me as one of the popular kids who had become a teacher. He probably thought he was everyone's favorite. I wonder how he'd react if he heard my opinion on the subject. Would it shatter his self-image, or would he shrug it off as an anomaly from the gloomy girl that never spoke up in class? 11.43. 12 more minutes. Let me wrap up here. Sorry guys, but there is homework for the weekend. Just think about capes and how they've impacted the world around you. Make a list if you want, but it's not mandatory. On Monday, we'll break up into groups of four and see what group has the best list. I'll buy the winning group treats from the vending machine. Man, what a downer. Finally. I was the first one to the door, moving at a dis decent clip as I headed up the stairwell to the third floor and made my way to the girls' washroom, pulling out my lunch of my out of my backpack and exhaling. It wasn't quite a sigh of relief. Relief implied you felt better. I wouldn't feel better until I got home. No, I just felt less uneasy. Eating on the toilet was routine now. Every school day, I would finish off a sandwich from home, then I'd do homework or read a book until lunch hour was over. I was thinking I would spend as long as I could on Mr. Gladley's assignment before reading, because I wasn't enjoying the only book I had on me, a biography of the three world-renowned superheroes who called themselves the Triumvirate. Whatever my plan, I didn't even have a chance to finish. I didn't want to rustle the bag and clue anyone into what I was doing. So I kept still and listened. I startled at the noise. I did my best to ignore it. Occupied! Oh my god, it's Taylor! Well, fuck. <laughs> Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Rushing for the door, I popped the lock open and pushed. The door didn't budge. 
There were noises from the stalls on either side of me, then a sound <laughs> above me. I looked up to see what it was, only to get splashed in the face. My eyes started burning, and I was momentarily blinded by the stinging fluid in my eyes and the blurring of my glasses. I could taste it as it ran down my nose and mouth cranberry juice. I managed to pull my glasses off just in time to see Madison and Sophia leaning over the top of the stall, each of them with a plastic bottle at the ready. Had enough? I bent over with my head, shielding my head just before they emptied the contents over me. It ran down the back of my neck, soaking my clothes, fizzled as it ran through my hair. I pushed against the door again, but the girl on the other side was braced against it with her body. If the girls pouring juice and soda on me were Madison and Sophia, that meant the girl on the other side of the door was Emma, leader of the trio. Feeling a flare of anger at the realization, I shoved on the door, the full weight of my body slamming against it. I didn't accomplish anything, and my shoes lost traction on the juice-slick floor. I fell to my knees in the puddling juice. <laughs> the door swung open, and I glared up at the three girls, Madison, Sophia, and Emma. Where Madison was cute, a late bloomer, Sophia and Emma were the types of girls that fit the prom queen image. The three of them were laughing like what they did was the funniest thing in the world, but the sounds of their amusement barely registered with me. My attention was on the faint roar of blood pumping in my ears and an urgent, ominous, crackling sound that wouldn't get any quieter or less persistent if I covered my ears with my hands. I didn't trust myself to say something that wouldn't give them fodder to taunt me with, so I kept silent. Carefully, I climbed to my feet and grabbed my now-ruined backpack. I turned around. The girls weren't there, leaving me alone in the bathroom, drenched. My dark hair was soaked enough that it clung to my scalp, neck, and shoulders. My glasses were coated with droplets, and my clothes were a technicolor mess. <sighs> Deep breaths, Taylor. Don't let them get to you. I pulled the glasses off to clean them with a wet towel and found the streaks were still there. Ah! I hurled my backpack across the room. I wasn't using my locker anymore. Certain individuals had vandalized or broken into it on four different occasions. My bag was heavy, loaded down with everything I'd anticipated needing for the day's classes. What the? Ah! I'd been enduring this from the very first day of high school, a year and a half ago. The bathroom had been the closest thing I could find to refuge. It had been lonely and undignified, but it had been a place I could retreat to. A place where I was off their radar. Now I didn't even have that. I didn't even know what I was supposed to do for my afternoon classes. Our midterm project for art was due, and I couldn't go to class like this. Sophia would be there, and I could just imagine her smug smile of satisfaction as I showed up, looking like I'd botched an attempt to tie-dye everything I owned. Besides, I had just thrown my bag against the wall, and I doubted my art project was still in one piece. For three months, I'd held back. Right now, I didn't care anymore. I shut my eyes and felt the buzzing crystallize into concrete information, information which had been drifting towards me since I was first splashed in the face. As much of a reflection of my frustration, my anger, my hatred for those three girls as my pounding heart and trembling hands were, I could make them stop or direct them to move almost without thinking about it. The way I could raise an arm and twitch a finger. On every surface, the bathroom 
earthworm bugs, flies, ants, spiders, centipedes, millipedes, earwigs, beetles, wasps, and bees. With every passing second, more streamed in through the open window and the various openings in the bathroom, moving with surprising speed. With one thought, I could single out a particular group, returning or species from this jungle, and direct them as I wish. An army of soldiers under my complete control. It would be so easy to just go nuts on the school, to give the trio their just desserts and make them regret what they had put me through. I was all too aware that I'd get caught and arrested if I attacked my fellow students, that there were three teams of superheroes and any number of solo heroes in the city, but that wasn't the worst part. The thought of my father seeing the aftermath on the news, his disappointment in me, his shame, that was more daunting, but it still didn't outweigh the anger and frustration. <sighs> Except I was better than that. I sent an instruction to the gathered swarm, disperse. The word wasn't as important as the idea behind it. They began to exit the room, disappearing into the cracks in the tile and through the open window. However much I wanted to, I couldn't really follow through. Even as I trembled with humiliation, I managed to convince myself to pick up my backpack and head down the hall. I caught my way out of the school, ignoring the stairs and giggles from everyone I walked past and caught the first bus that headed in the general direction of home. I was going to be a superhero. That was the goal I used to calm myself down at moments like these. It was what I used to make myself get out of bed in on a school day. It was a crazy dream that made things tolerable. It was something to look forward to, something to work towards. It made it possible to keep from dwelling on the fact that Emma Barnes, leader of the trio, had once been my best friend. My heart sank as I found the notebook with the white and black speckled hardcover. The corner of the paper was soaked with as much as a quarter of each page stained purple. The ink had diluted and the pages were already turning wavy. I stood under the shower with my clothes on the floor of the tub, hoping the water would help get the worst of the juice out. I pondered. I don't know who said it, but at one point I had come across this notion about taking negative things and turning it into a positive. I tried to take the day's events and turn them around in my head to see if I could find a more positive twist on it. Okay, yet another reason to kill the trio. No, positive thinking. Were there any upsides? Art project wrecked, clothes probably unrecoverable, needing a new backpack, notebook. Somehow my mind fixated on that last part. I opened up the old coal chute in my basement and pulled out my half-finished costume, a little project I'd been putting together over the last few months. The fanged gray mask stared back at me as if it was telling me, it's time. I had realized I was procrastinating. I was constantly planning, preparing, considering all of the possibilities. There would always be more preparations, more stuff to study or test. The destruction of my notebook had been the burning of a bridge. I couldn't go back and copy it into a fresh book or start on a new one without delaying my game plan for at least a week. I had to move forward. It was time to do it. I flexed my hands inside the glove. I'd go out next week. No, no more delays. This weekend, I would be ready. It was just after midnight, and I was crossing the line between one of the nicest parts of town and the part of town where the crack whores and gangsters lived. The distance between the two was thinner than one might think. 
The Protectorate headquarters loomed on the bay, a massive fortress looming over the derelict buildings of the docks. I had to admit it made me feel a little bit safer about what I was doing. As I walked, I was using my powers to draw a swarm together, but keeping them out of the way, moving just over the nearby rooftops and through the interior of buildings. Anybody who wasn't paying attention to the local cockroach population would have no idea something was up. I saw a spot of orange in the dark street ahead, a lighter, with several faces around it. They were Asian, some wearing hoodies, other wearing headbands or long sleeve shirts, but all wore the same colors, red and green. I knew who these guys were. They were members from the local gang that left the tags Asian Bad Boys, ABB for short, all over the east side of the city. More than a few went to my school. As far as the criminal element in Broxton Bay went, they weren't small potatoes. So when is the boss getting here? That tattoo fat ass said to be here at 12.30 and we've been waiting on him for half an hour. Hey, careful. Word gets out you said something like that about Lung and you'll be dead on the spot. Besides, here he comes now. Four people stepped out of the car, three in the red and blue and the fourth going shirtless, his dragon tattoos covering his body like armor. The metal samurai mask he wore conformed my worst fear, Lung. The shapeshifter, regenerator, fire manipulator, the invincible ab... Aban of parahuman whose powers got stronger and more diverse the longer he fought, who had taken on entire teams of heroes and walked away. Boss, where you been? We're all ready for you. Spare me, whelp. You've had an important mission tonight, and I assure you that failures will pay with their lives. Uh, yeah, you said something about that earlier. Care to elaborate? Ah! Your silence is welcome. Arrival has laid claim to the south side. His troops are heavily armed, and I will need you to be absolutely relentless if we are to accomplish our mission. Do not hesitate, do not question my orders, or I will deal with you myself. As for the children, just shoot. Doesn't matter your aim, just shoot. You see one lying on the ground, shoot the little bitch twice more to be sure. We give them no chances to be clever or lucky. Do you understand? Yeah, I They were going to kill kids? At least, that's what I had heard. I had a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that anyone would. I was out of time to consider my options. As much as I didn't want to face it, there was really only one option that I could have no regrets about. Attack. Quiet, we don't have much time before- And that's when the stinging began. Very well. I didn't have much longer before the armor covered him, so I took a share of the venomous types I held that day and directed them to them. A handful of bees, wasps, and a number of more poisonous spiders like black willows and brown recluses and a dozen of fire ants. With this case, I focused the crawling ants and spiders on other vulnerable areas. cover! When I say that long, it's I mean that literally. 
As the smoke cleared by her coated lungs body, his hands burning like torches, silvery scales that covered nearly a third of his body reflected the flame. Only charred remains were left of his followers. I wasn't sure I could win this anymore. I focused my attention on the lone wasp and drove it straight at his eyeball. He blinked before it could hit the target, but the pain was enough to earn me another fireball. Again, I thought, a honeybee this time. I wasn't sure if he eventually got armor-plated eyelids, but maybe I could use the stings to make his eyes swell shut? The bee stuck home this time, sinking his finger into the ball of lung's eye. It surprised me that it didn't stick or kill the bee, so I had the bee sting again, and this time the barbs let it stick in the skin at the corner of his eye at the side of his nose. The bee died that time, leaving some tiny organs in a venom sack hanging from the stinger. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I can attest that you have just made a grave error. Lung was now seven feet tall and surrounded by a churning aura of fire. I need to get out of here now. As if a gunshot had gone off, Lung whirled around to stare at me. One of his eyes was just a glowing line behind his mask, but the other was like an orb of molten metal. <laughs> hearing. The package of powers the bastard got from his transformation included superhuman hearing. You don't properly appreciate what superhuman strength means until you can see someone leap from the sidewalk to the second floor of a building on the far side of the street. I could only guess that he had just buried his fingertips into the building's exterior and started climbing. I checked my pockets for anything that could be useful against an armored, flaming nightmare. Bugs? Nope. EpiPens? Nope. Pepper spray? You would have to do. Your life ends now, whelp! The bastard was covered 100% in armor by now, fires bright enough to illuminate the entire street. I grabbed the canister and fired blindly as he crawled onto the roof, hoping to find purchase somewhere. got him in the eye. He was blind, but it was the best I could do at this point. Nothing was hurting him. There you are. Give me something to aim for, dammit! I held my breath and stayed as still as possible. What could I do? I had the pepper spray in my hand, but the simple act of moving would torch me. I'll come for you then. For 30 minutes? How was this monster not an A-lister? He suddenly moved, flames wreathing his hands, and I screwed my eyes shut. I opened my eyes again. Lung was firing streams of flame, aiming for the edge of the roof of the adjacent building. Something huge was on top of him. A strange forcing him off the edge of the building. These two each had a pair of riders, and I saw one with a skull-faced biker helmet approach me. Well, you really saved us a lot of trouble. When we got word Lung was aiming to come after us tonight, we were pretty freaked. We were arguing strategy for the better part of the day. We eventually decided, eh, we'd meet him halfway. Wing it. 
Not my usual way of dealing with things, but yeah. The two monsters the group had been riding on bounded across the roof and leapt down to the streets to join the fight. <laughs> Wouldn't you know, his flunky Lee is there with half a dozen guys, but Lung and the rest of his gang are nowhere to be found. <laughs> Lee's no slouch in a fight, but there's a reason he's not the leader of the ABB. He got spooked without his boss there and ran. I guess you're responsible for that. Lung is getting creamed. The fuck did you do to him? Pepper spray, wasps and bee stings, fire ants, and a few particularly nasty spider bites. He's not holding up too well. Gonna feel a hell of a lot worse tomorrow. <laughs> Introductions. The blonde girl's name is Tattletail. I'm Gru. The girl with the dogs, with no costume, we call her Bitch. Her preference. But in the interest of being PG, the good guys and the media decided to call her Hellhound instead. Last and certainly least, we have our fabulous little theater geek, Regent. Ah, fuck you, Gru. You know as well as anyone that I was responsible for driving those punks off. Uh, pleased to meet you, I guess. Wait, those were dogs? Hey, you okay? You hurt? The reason she's not introducing herself isn't because she's hurt, it's because she's shy. Also, we gotta scram. Wanna ride? Uh, no thanks. Wait, were you the ones who was talking about the... those kids he said he was gonna kill? Hey, what's your name? My name? I don't... I haven't picked one yet. Well, bug girl, a cape is gonna show up in less than a minute. You did us a solid by dealing with Lung, so take my advice. Someone from the Protectorate shows up, finds two bad guys duking it out. They're not gonna let one walk away. You should get out of here. With that, they bounded off the giant beasts again. A flash of metal gleamed down below one of the heroes, hopefully. I didn't want to be seen fleeing the scene of a fight and risk being labeled one of the bad guys by yet another person, but I wasn't about to get closer to the street either in case Lung was feeling better. If you'd asked me just a few hours ago about how I'd thought I would meet, feel meeting a big-name superhero, I would have used the words like excited and giddy. The reality was that I was almost too exhausted to care. You there, in the costume! The dark blue armor and massive halberd revealed immediately who I was facing, the leader of our local team, Broxton Bay's own legendary weapon maker. Arms master. Looking for a fight? Not really. I'm a good guy. You don't look like one. Uh, first of all, ow. Second, that's not intentional. I was more than halfway done putting the costume together when I realized it was looking more edgy than I'd intended and I couldn't do anything about it by then. Huh, you're telling the truth. What? H how did you... You need a hospital? Um, no, I don't think so. I'm as surprised as you are. You're a new face. I haven't even come up with a name yet. You know how hard it is to come up with a bug-themed name that doesn't make me sound like a supervillain or a complete dork? I wouldn't know. I got into the game early enough that I didn't have to worry about missing out on all the good names. I almost died. That's why we have the Ward program. People like you could be doing a lot of good on our side, taking out villains like him under proper supervision. Right, um... You get long? Lung was unconscious, beaten, and battered when I arrived. I pumped him full of tranquilizers to be safe and temporarily restrained him under a steel cage I welded to the sidewalk. I'll pick him up on my way back. Good, I'll feel like I accomplished something today. Only reason I started the fight was because I overheard him telling his men to shoot some kids. 
only realized later that he was talking about some other villains. What? Oh, um, there were four of them, a guy in a biker jacket, a girl with a domino mask, a boy in a Renfair costume, and this girl with three gigantic dog things that they were riding around on. These guys came in and took Lung out right before he would have killed me. These guys, they knew I was coming? Yeah, I think so. That explains a lot. They're slippery. On those few occasions, we do manage to get toe-to-toe -to -toe fight with them. They either win, or they get more or less unscathed, or both. We know so little about them. Gru and Hellhound were working on their own before they joined the group, so there's some information there. But the other two? They're non-entities. If the girl Tattletale has some way of detecting or tracking us, it would go a long way toward explaining why they were doing as well as they are. It's funny, they didn't seem that hardcore. Gru said they were kind of panicking when they heard Lung was coming after them, and they were casually joking around while the fight was going on. Gru was making fun of Regent. They said all this in front of you? I think they thought I was helping them out. The way Tattletale talked, I think she thought I was a bad guy too or something. I guess it was the costume that led them to that assumption. Could you have taken them in a fight? Like you said, we don't know a lot about them, but the girl with the dogs... Hellhound! Right, I, I think she could have kicked my ass on her own, so no, I probably couldn't have fought them. Then count it as a good thing that they got the wrong impression. I'll try to look at it that way. That a girl? And while you're looking forward, we need to decide where to go from here. Who, gre who gets credit for Lung? Is this about the words of... Wait, did you just... Hear me out. What you've done tonight is spectacular. You played a part in getting a major villain into custody. You need to consider the consequences. Lung has an extensive gang throughout Brockton Bay and neighboring cities. More than that, he has two superpowered flunkies, Oni Lee and Bakura. I know about Oni Lee. Gru mentioned fighting him. I've never heard of Bakura. Not surprising. She's new. What we know about her is limited. She made her first appearance and demonstration of her powers by way of a drawn-out terrorism court campaign against Cornell University. Lung apparently recruited her and brought her to Brockton Bay after her plans were foiled by the New York Protectorate. This is something of a concern. What are her powers? Are you aware of the Tinker classification? Um, of course. Covers everyone with powers like yours that gives them an advanced grasp of science. Lets them make technology years ahead of its time. Ray guns, ice blasters, mechanized suits of armor, advanced computers. Close enough. Well, most tinkers have a specialty or a special trick, something they're particularly good at or something that they can do, which others can't. Bakuda's specialty is bombs. I'm pretty sure the danger inherent with that goes without saying. Now, I want you to consider the danger involved in taking credit for Lung's capture. Without a doubt, the lieutenants will be looking to accomplish two goals, freeing their boss and getting vengeance on the one responsible. I suspect you're now aware these are scary people, scarier in some ways than he is. You're saying I shouldn't take the credit. I'm saying you have two options. Option one is join the wards, where you'll have the support and protection in the event of an altercation. Option two is to keep your head down. Don't take credit. Fly under the radar. Well, I... I don't have all night, kiddo. The monster down there won't stay chained up for much longer. <sighs> Please keep my involvement in Lung's capture secret. <laughs> I think you'll look back at this and see it was a smart decision. Call me at the PHQ if you're ever in a pinch. Call me if you're ever in a pinch. He'd been saying without openly admitting that he owed me one. He would take the lion's share of the credit for Lung's capture, but he owed me one. 
Before I was all the way down the fire escape, I heard the thrum of a motorcycle, presumably carrying Lung towards a life of confinement. I could hope. My first night in costume could have gone worse. Strange as it sounds, those words were a security blanket I wrapped around myself to keep myself from dwelling on the fact that tomorrow was a school day. And thanks everyone very much for watching Worm. We stress again that this is a fan project of ours because uh, we love uh, the original series, which you can find online. Um, uh, but before we begin, this is the first episode, so we'd like to make a few introductions. Um, my name is Christy Sala. Uh, in this episode, I played the newscaster, the BBC voice dude, but we'll be moving around in our roles a bit. Uh, next up. Hi, I'm Ben Schultz. Uh I played Mr. Gladly, the second henchman and regent. Um, I'm Flora. Uh, I played an interviewee, Madison, and Tattletail. I'm Joseph. I played Gru, uh, uh, arms master, and uh, one of the interviewees. Hello, my name's Meg, and I played Taylor. And my name is Matt. I'm the writer and director for this, and I played Lung in this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next Saturday at 8. Adios. See you soon. Sayonara.